have just a few moments, but I want to share with you two basic ideas from the New Testament at the core of the gospel, at the heart of salvation, and then try to relate them to what is really at the role, no matter what group you're in, what part of it you're in. This is, uh, helps me, at least in my thinking, know where we need to go as a church, which means where we need to go in our groups. And the two words, uh, if you're new to the Christian life, new to the Bible, they can be very intimidating and sound highfalutin, but they're not at all. They're, they're really at the core of the gospel. And the two words are justification and then the word sanctification. Joan, I'll tell you what you're going to need to do. If you'll close ProPresenter down and restart it, we won't have to look at that terrible font. It'll, it'll fix it. So if you'll just close it down and catch back up with me when you get it back up, that would probably help us out. That's not your fault, uh, but if you could help me that way. Justification and sanctification. Now, both of those speak of the work that God does in our life when he saves us. They are both aspects of our salvation. But it's important for every Christian to understand what is the difference between justification and sanctification. What does the Bible teach? How they differ from one another and how should they shape our lives and our relationship to Christ and what we do as a church and particularly what we do in, in our small groups, in our move groups. Now, let's start with justification. It's as simple, someone has said, as A, B, C, D. I didn't come up with this outline, but it's a good one. It helps the understanding what, what we're really about in this whole business. Justification is an act of God. A is an act of God. It is the legal declaration that comes when a person comes to Jesus Christ in faith, and in that moment, God pardons by his own legal edict. He pardons the sinner of his sins, he, and he accepts and accounts the sinner as a righteous one in his presence. That is, God declares you not just forgiven, he declares you righteous at the very moment that you have put your trust in Jesus Christ. We all know there's many verses for this, but we all know Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That's the mess every one of us are in. And we are justified by his grace as a gift to the redemption in Christ Jesus. It's what we talked about over and over in 2 Peter 1. It's the way it starts. He's talking to these people receiving his letters, to those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. It's what Paul said to the Corinthians. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, that we might become the righteousness of God. Justification is an act of God. It has nothing to do with what we do. It has nothing to do in, in the sense that it's something we produce. It's first and foremost a declaration that God brings into our life. Now, what's the basis for this new legal, legal verdict that God brings us? It is this, that God justifies the sinner solely on the basis of the obedience and the death of Jesus Christ. Remember in Romans 5, Paul contrasts those two primary men of history, the first man, the father of the race, Adam, and how that one act of disobedience, they had one command and they broke that command, and that one act of disobedience, the whole of the world's problems, of its brokenness, and of all the problems that you and I have every day of our life came through that one act of disobedience. And he contrasts that with another man, the man Jesus Christ, and how his one act of obedience at the cross undoes that and changes everything. So he says in Romans 5.18, therefore as one trespass, that is Adam's trespass, led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. 
Verse 19, for it's by one man, that is Adam's disobedience, we were all made sinners. And we fight sin, we have to deal with sin. It works against the, the grain of everything that we want for ourselves and that God wants for us. We have to deal with it all of our life. But it, it all comes from that, it, it flows out of that one act of Adam. I think it was on Babylon B this week, I saw a picture of, of saints in heaven and it was this look of sort of a dismay at, at, and looking at Adam, you... In a sense, we all feel that. The, the, the problem, of course, is we've joined Adam in the same sin, haven't we? But out of that one act, we've, we've all entered through that, but by one man, that is Jesus Christ, obedience, the many were made righteous. By the way, if you don't want to take the Bible's word about the, the origin of humankind, about the creation of, of, of man by God, Adam, and what happened in that garden, and you want to make that into mythology, then you can throw away the gospel. Because by one act, we were all brought into sin. And that same principle is that by one act of the second Adam, Jesus Christ, we're all made righteous. Those two are inextricably tied together. And it's those single acts that changes everything. We're told in Galatians 3.13, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming the curse for us. It is written, cursed is everyone who's hanged on a tree. Jesus took the curse I deserved when he died on that cross. That's the reason God made that declaration, and that's the basis by which we can be saved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, by the redemption through his blood. Philippians 2.8, being found in human form, Jesus humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And so Peter could write to those people living up in Asia Minor, in present-day Turkey, people who had never heard the Old Testament, never knew the oracles of God, and here Peter, who's been a lifelong follower of Jesus, been the rock of the church, been the head of the church, been serving the church, and yet he says to them, you've obtained something that of equal value, of equal standing, of equal status with what I have and every Christian could have, though you know nothing about Judaism, you know nothing about what God's been doing for these centuries, but by faith in Christ alone, you're just as righteous before him as the most righteous saint who will ever live, because it's been done in Jesus Christ. We're not justified by our efforts, but God puts the righteousness of his son to our account. So think of it this way. When Jesus died on that cross, he was bearing all of my sin, every junky, filthy thing, all the stuff that, that I hope some of you never know about. But every wicked thing in my life was put upon Jesus, and he bore that curse. And we often recognize that. We, some of you have been on youth retreats, and we, we, we write down our sins on a piece of paper, and we nail them to a cross. We get that part, that he bore our sin on the cross. But don't miss the whole rest of it. Jesus took our curse, but his righteousness was given to us. When God deals with you, when he sees you, he sees you as righteous and as holy and as sinless and as perfect on the basis of what Jesus has because it's been credited to your account. Despite what you've actually done, we have far you along you are, it is all of the righteousness of Christ has been credited to you. All of that happens in justification. For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So justification is an act of God. God justifies the sinner solely on the basis of obedience and death of Jesus Christ. But how do you get this? Well, sinners are justified through faith alone when they confess their trust in Christ. 
You don't get this by just going to church a lot and sort of merging into it. You don't get this by, by trying real hard and trying to turn your life around and doing better. You don't get this by anything that you accomplish. It simply is by faith. Faith is the only instrument of justification. Which another way of saying a faith is you take the promises of God of what he has done in Christ and you receive it and you stake your life on it. You, you make it yours and you stand on it by faith in Jesus Christ and that's how it's offered to you. There are many, many verses in the Bible, in the New Testament. The most famous one we'll use this morning. For by grace you have been saved through faith. That not of yourselves, of your own doing. It's the gift of God, not of works, so no one can boast. This is all God's work. All you can do is receive it. All you can do is take it. But when you do, all this is credit to you. So Peter says to these fairly new Christians from very pagan backgrounds, but he said, you have obtained a faith. Not that you worked it up, but it was you've been given a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Justification is an act of God. God justifies the sinner solely on the basis of the obedience and death of Jesus Christ. You get this by when you confess your, your, your trust in Christ. Uh, that's through faith alone. And finally, faith, saving faith will demonstrate itself to be the genuine article by producing good works. Justification says that saving faith will result in a demonstration that you have the real thing, something genuine, by producing good works. The Bible warns over and over on almost every book of the New Testament that simply professing saving faith is not always the same as possessing saving faith. And so it's simply a way of saying that where real justification has happened, it will be followed by sanctification. That is the, the other part of this thing. Paul, James' letter, so much of it is about that. The second chapter of James, uh, the whole second chapter, but just one verse. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but doesn't have works? Can that faith save him? I've told the story many times. Terry and I got married. I think someone gave us a, a dryer. Glory, you know, we didn't have much at all, we, but we had a dryer. woo It looked pretty. It was shiny. We put it there in the laundry room. We plugged it in. It had the dials. They lit up. You could turn the dials, and the thing started spinning around. You could put your clothes in there. And three hours later, they were as wet as when you put them in there. It looked like a dryer. It said it was a dryer. It sounded like a dryer. It just didn't dry. And James is saying there's a kind of faith. But if you think that faith is real and genuine, you, and, and it doesn't produce anything, it doesn't change your life, you don't see the work of sanctification begin in your life, then what you've got is not a, that's a counterfeit faith. It won't do you any good. We have, for those who have been saved, a work now that begins to transform us. It's what Peter talked about. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. All that we need so we can actually begin, not just what we're declared to be, but we can actually become that over time is given to us. We can become partakers of the divine nature, escaping from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desires. We were singing it in one of the songs this morning. Have you, have, you, have you known that moment along your Christian life and suddenly you wake up one day and you realize something, that there's a particular area of sin has lost its grip on you? That's a glorious day. Sometimes there's the things that take so long, but one day you recognize, the Lord really is working. I really am having freedom here. He is answering my prayers. That's what we're talking about. Now, the point is that no one ought to consider himself to be a justified person unless he sees in his life the fruit and the evidence of justifying faith, that is, good works. 
I can't say about any particular person, anyone, whether they're saved or lost, but I'm just telling you, if you're here and you cannot see real work of sanctification, you don't see a new change of direction in your life, you need to go back and look real hard and find out if you ever really knew Christ by real faith in him. Because justifying faith always leads to something else. That's why Peter said, for this very reason, all these things that God has given us, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue and your virtue with knowledge and knowledge with self-control and self-control with steadfastness and steadfastness with godliness and godliness with brotherly affection and brotherly affection with love. If these qualities are yours and increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent. Confirm your calling. Confirm your election. Know that that justification really happened because you see it being worked out in your life. So, very quickly, justification is a complete and finished act. It happens the moment you come to faith in Jesus Christ. It is given to every believer, and we are completely and finally freed from the condemnation and wrath of God. There is therefore now no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. God made alive together with him, having forgiven all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside. He nailed it to the cross. That happens the moment you believe in Jesus Christ. But it is followed by sanctification. Sanctification that is the ongoing and progressive work of God in our life. The truth is we will not be completely freed from sin totally until we have our resurrection body one day in eternity. But we ought to see a brand new direction in our life because we are Christ. In justification, our faith results in our being forgiven, accepted, and counted righteous in God's sight. In sanctification, that same faith actively and eagerly takes up the commands of Christ that he has given to us. What we must never do is try to separate and say, well, you can have justification and sanctification is somehow the op- it's, it's an, an option you can decide on. You cannot pull those two things apart. And yet, on the other hand, let's be clear, they're not exactly the same thing. They, 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 they belong together. They have to go together. We distinguish the difference between what was given us at the moment of salvation and now the ongoing work of Christ's work in our life. You see how all this is summarized in the great, the great command of the church, the great commission. Jesus said to them, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. It's not like his divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness. And then he says, now there go therefore and make disciples of all nations. A bunch of Gentiles up in Turkey. Yet he says, you have this equal standing because you have come to Christ in faith alone and grace alone, been justified by the work of Christ on that cross. And once you've got them to that point, then the first step of sanctification in the, in the way things normally would work out would be baptism, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. But baptism is just the first step of obedience. It is to flow into the rest of our life. Step one of sanctification continues into verse 20, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. That's the work of sanctification. Now, my concern this morning is how do we help that work of sanctification happen? That's so, so much of what we have to talk about this morning. God uses fellow Christians as a primary way to sanctify us. God uses disciples to disciple. Disciples are discipling one another. In most cases, it's one person who's less mature being discipled, someone who's more mature. The tricky thing about that is it doesn't always work. At different, you may be more mature in one area and him in another. We all get to join in this process. It means, if that is true, that you have to be connected to a church. You have to get connected and bound up and covenanted in with a group of people and say, this, these are the people that I'm going to be discipled by and I'm going to disciple within and we're going to strive to do this together. 
And that means church is something that you're a part of, not something you just attend. It's not enough just to attend. You've got to get your life buried in that church. And the best place I know to do it is, is in those smaller groups of the church. And that means we are living in relationships with other believers. It's through those relationships that we grow to maturity, and maturity becomes our capacity to live in relationship. Discipleship happens best in the relationships of fellow Christians who really know each other and get involved in each other's life. You know the scripture, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as the habit of some, but we need to meet together so we can encourage one another. I want to tell you, I'm thrilled about these groups that have been a part of our heritage of our church, really all of its history. I'm excited about what God's going to do in the days ahead and the groups that we have and the groups that I trust will be formed. But it's not just because I think it's great we're going to get together and we're going to be in groups and we're really going to like each other and we're going to be nice to each other. That really is not what this is about. That's not what this is about. It's about reaching lost people and discipling saved people and it happens best in these groups. And all of it won't be pretty. All of it won't be easy. Sometimes it'll be painful. But it's where God does his work. But I pray that every one of us as a church and then all of us our groups that we'll do that full work of the gospel. You can think of it like a plane. I don't know a lot about aeronautics, but the last I checked, a plane pretty much needs two wings if it's going to fly. Am I right about that, Rich? Okay. I want to just make sure I wasn't off there. Um, so the church has to have two wings. We have to do evangelism. That is, we can never just be centered in ourselves. There's a world out there that Jesus loves, gave himself for, and we exist for that world. And so our groups need to have a, have a plan and a strategy and a spirit of not just our group, but what God is going to do using us as a group, as a, out of our relationships, to touch those folks that are lost. And yet, if all we do is evangelism, if all we care is do is projects that, that help us get the gospel to lost people, but we don't, don't bring people into relationship, then we will fail them as we help them in the work of, sanct of sanctification. People get saved. They receive faith in Christ. They follow Jesus. They begin to be changed by Jesus. They're committed to Jesus. But they need to be connected up with other believers. You grow in a family, and church is family. That's where the best teaching happens. It happens in the loving care of relationships. By this will all men know that you are my disciples if you love one another. It's in our groups that people ought to first see our love for one another. So we make meals, we watch and care for each other's kids, we listen and we share and we put up and we, we just do all that stuff. We intentionally move them inward to disciple the saved. But that new Christian comes in, they find this wonderful group and these people love them and even pamper them and care about them, but we must be very careful if all we do is say, you know, I've come to just love my group so much. I love our fellowship so much. It's the dearest thing. And we've got to, and it, it, even a group, like, uh, like a move group, can become a me, 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 me. And that's, we are all fighting that all the time. And so we have, to, we have to have both wings. We have to have the relationships, and we have to have the, the impetus to go out and to reach and do evangelism. Both of those go together. So there must be in and there must be out. I don't know much about flying, so I'm going to change metaphors as I finish up this morning. And I particularly want to speak to those of you who are leaders. That group that spoke up here, but in every group there's more than that. You heard hints of that. A really effective group has, has a number of people within the group who will, who will give leadership in various ways to that fellowship. If you're a leader in that group, you need to know how to drive the car. If you think of your small group as driving a car, this is about getting them where they need to go. And leaders get to drive. 
Your group is in the car, and I promise you, all of them are hoping you know how to drive. Now, if that bothers you, if that intimidates you, I want to assure you there'll be a lot of backseat and front seat drivers to assist you. You'll get lots of help. I want to tell you that people in the car will have lots of questions. So, because many times you're driving and you can't see about it all, you need other mature believers to help lead that group to answer and to model the answers to the questions. There'll be people who get in your group and they'll see the work of Christ going on there and they're going to wonder, they're going to wonder if they even belong in this car. And one of the things that the, the mature members of that group need to do is just as you talk and share together, they need to work hard at being honest and transparent about your walk with the Lord, including being transparent about your failures and your lapses and your struggles and your ongoing battle with sin. You see, when the leaders of the group begin to talk about their own failures, right away, everybody on the card begins to think, hey, we're going to be an honest. This is a place for honesty in this group. And if you don't have that, then, then we'll do what's so easy to do. We're religious people. We have to get together and put on our masks and play our games and play a part. And, and, think. and what we do is we leave ourselves vulnerable to that first lie of the devil in every person here in this room and every person in your group. If Satan is anything at all, he's an accuser. And he's going to come to people in that group, who, particularly when they're not well-grounded, he's going to come to them, but he'll come to the well-grounded, he'll say, you're not worth anything to God. It, you, with, with a you know, you come to church and you sing those hymns and you talk all that stuff in your class, but, but you, the way you live, the way you talk to your wife, the way, the, 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 you, you don't think that God loves you. you don't, certainly you don't think that God could do anything in your life. Certainly you don't think he could, you, you know, you're worth and you see the, the, the people in that group who's willing to be open enough and, and, and share how they have faced and are facing those very struggles with sin and difficulty and, and, and creating that spirit in that group. It, it puts to lie, say, they, people begin to see fleshed out how, how sin is faced, how bondages are overcome, how they're broken, how, how knowing that my sin is already forgiven, past, present, and future, breaks the power of sin and it's not to make light of sin, it's not to be frivolous about it, but to come with humility and our own brokenness and our own repentance helps other people be free. And that can happen best in a small group. So God, may he help us do that. You see, ultimately what we're trying to do is we're trying to care and raise up other people in the car who, have, who, who can get along in the car, who can learn how to love in the car, we live in a society of people who have broken relationships everywhere. They don't know how to relate to anybody. Sometimes they come in our groups and they don't know how to relate there. and They make a mess of things, but we just keep loving them. We just keep pouring ourselves into them. We keep modeling for them how Christians deal with this because they need to see that. They, don't, they can't make life work anywhere, but they ought to learn how to, it ought to be possible to make it happen in the, in the work of God's people. By the way, if you're in a Sunday school class and you don't have some difficult people in your group, you're not doing much to reach out yet. Because they're out there and they need your group and you need to love them. They need friendships. They need to know that this is a place you can ask what they are certain are dumb questions. But they need to know that no one will be disrespected for asking them. They need time around dinner tables and hanging out and working together and sharing and figuring out how to unpack scripture. As a preacher, it's so frustrating when people take a sermon and then it goes off haywire in their thinking. And teachers, you have your most well-prepared lesson and you think it's all so clear. And yet somebody, if, if there's not relationships going on where they're talking about what's being taught, they'll often go off in crazy directions. I uh, heard another pastor about a week and a half ago say, as 
something that happened to him. I, I haven't had this exact happen, but, but, but boy, the moment he said it, I, oh, I said, oh, yeah, that's, I know that's happened with me. But in this particular case, he was preaching from Malachi, passage where God hates divorce. And he was trying to speak to the, the need for us to understand and value and, and understand the covenant of marriage and to, 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 to stand on that truth and to a powerful message. At the end of the service, a, a, a young woman, not been in the church for too many months, came, talked to him after the service. She was just weeping, weeping, hardly get the words out, very upset. She finally said, I've got to go back. I've got to go back. I've got to go back to my husband. Pastors, I know what he's thinking. He said, man, I got one this morning, boy. I got that down. This woman was so distraught. Another lady in the class that knew her well and came up and sort of joined the conversation. And, and she was in such a state, she just took her to the side and sat her on the pew and began to pray with her. And the pastor, you know, other people wanted to talk. It was only later that he found out the rest of the conversation that this dear sister had with this dear lady. They were talking and praying together and she was under conviction of what to do about her marriage. And she said, I've got to go back. I've got to go back. And so this dear friend said, well, why do you have to, well, why'd you leave in the first place? He was abusing my daughter. See, there's more to be said, isn't there? There's more of the scripture to, to think through on that. It's got to be unpacked. We need each other to, to clear up and, and figure out these things. It's how we disciple each other. It takes a group. It takes a small team. It takes relational fellowship to make disciples. When it's all done, we want people to know how to drive their own car and be a part of a new car and, and bring many more people and, and bring them forward in the things of the gospel of Christ. And so our vision is to have groups where we, we focus on those three rhythms. Up, we meet together, we study the word of God, we pray. I mean, we really pray. And we apply that word together. And we're in where we're deliberately consciously, intentionally focusing on how well are we doing to loving each other. And so we have shared meals and we do work and service together and, and we patiently know that all of us are called to this work of discipling each other. And sometimes the most important words that are said when the group meets won't be from the, the leader, they'll be before and afterwards of the conversations that go on around. We patiently grow together and apply the word and encourage each other to abide in Christ because that's where sanctification takes place. And we are mindful that real sanctification never turns us in on ourselves, but it makes us more of the heart of Christ. And the heart of Christ is he came to seek and to save sinners, and we are called to join him in that. And so we're always thinking out to how can we as a group together, not just as individuals, but in what we have together here, the love we share with this bond with you, how can, how can we bring people to, to interface with us as a group so that we can share the gospel with them? Up, in, and out. We need those kind of groups. You need to help us make those kind of groups. And you need to help us and be involved in those kind of groups because we're serious. We have been justified. If you have faith in Christ, and now we're in the work, every one of us, of sanctification. Well, I'd like for you to take, I just, I want us to respond this morning. First of all, of course, you may be here this morning and you, you're at the place of sanctification, or justification rather. That is to say, you need to be saved. You need to come and ask Christ to forgive you of your sins. You need to put your trust in him by faith, what he did at that cross, and receive that grand promise, that eternal life that will begin the moment you become his. And then you and those who have been saved and, and Christians for 50 years, we need to come this morning and make sure that we're engaged, that we're part of a group, and that we're, we're praying for God to do a full work in the life of that fellowship.
So I'd like for you to take that sheet that I've been talking about all morning that uh, Tammy prepared for us. If you'd take that out right now, and I'd like for you to write your name across the top of it someplace. Just put your name there. Print legibly. There's not a place for it, but just put your name there. If you're in a group and you intend to stay in that group, just circle your group. Put a check by something to indicate that's the group you're in. If you're here this morning and you, you're not in a group or you want to be in a new group, you can make that choice too. Circle that one. Or maybe there's, you don't know which one of these groups. You've heard a little thumbnail this morning and you've got more praying and thinking and, and opportunity to experiment with this morning. I'd like for you to circle one of those groups that you at least pray about considering. Say, I'm, I'm not in a group, but one of those might be, and, and if you can't find a group on here that you say is right for me, then, then maybe you write a note and say, this is the kind of group I need. Speak to that need. Write it down. Maybe God will open the door for us to get that group formed soon. But there, so you may circle two or three. Some of you, quite honestly, could be involved in two groups. Steve Lewis does it every week. I guess you can do it. But for most of us, it's probably just one group. But circle your group or the group that you would consider not making a commitment to it, but you consider, and when you've got your name on it and you've circled your group, I'd like for you to pass them to the inside aisles. So here this, here this way or on the outside, I want us to, we would like to receive these this morning and see where we're at together. Uh, we'll be doing this on a regular basis because a lot of our folks aren't here, but for those of us who are here, where's, where's your group and what's our commitment? I'd ask you to make that, I want you to do something with this sermon this morning. I believe the whole life and work of our church comes down to the effectiveness of these these smooth groups. So, Father, thank you for the privilege of being a part of your body. Thank you for the work and ministry that's for all these years at King's Baptist. Thank you for countless other congregations around this community following strategies that are very similar to this one. But Lord, we ask for your anointing on this work of, of doing the work of getting the gospel to the lost around us and then discipling them and growing them and loving them and being transformed ourselves more and more to be all that you've declared us to be at the beginning of our salvation. Lord, help us to leave here today with a new sense, every one of us, that um, we're not just members of a church, but we're called to be missionaries, and we have a work to do in that church, in our group, in the church as a whole. Help us find our place to use our gifts, and then, Lord, bless this work. We, may we see in every one of our groups people saved in the next, next six months, and we see every one of them seeing new people that are, are far from God this morning, but being brought close. May we see real growth and progress and breakthroughs in the lives of your children as you do that work of your grace to, to sanctify us and make us like Christ. In his name we pray. Amen.